Being a spy is a lot like being a bank robber. In espionage, as in crime, it's always the little things that get you. You can plan for an entire operation, allowing for one contingency after another, foreseeing when and where things might go wrong. But you inevitably miss the little things. A drop of sweat on a doorknob. Drywall shavings left behind after the installation of a bug. A nick from a tension wrench and the brass plate of a lock. Small things with huge impacts. In this case, the little thing happened before Aaron Bergman had even left Israel, when a travel voucher routed through Mossad headquarters included a man who had been specifically excluded from the mission read-on, for a specific reason. And that little thing would prove devastating for Aaron and his neophyte apprentice. Casually tapping the tablet in front of him, Aaron said, Alex, turn just a tad bit to the right. I'm missing the man on the left. Across the table from him, Alexandra Levy shifted slightly, her face aglow. She said, This is so exciting, straight out of a James Bond movie. He chuckled, then said, Right there. Good. He hit record on the tablet. Alex stiffened a little bit, as if she were posing for a photographer, holding her angle. She whispered, That thing will really read their lips? Tell us what they're saying? Aaron said, Yep. If you can keep the camera on them. But don't look so rigid. Relax a little. I'll tell you if it shifts off. Aaron continued manipulating a piece of software in his tablet, something that was highly classified and usually reserved for active Mossad agents. A simple button camera in Alexandra's blouse was tied by Bluetooth to his tablet and seemed to be out of a 007 movie, but in truth, both were commercially available to anyone who wanted them. The secret was the software churning through what the camera sent it. Artificial intelligence for facial recognition had grown by leaps and bounds in recent years, and the Mossad had taken that in a different direction, focusing on the spoken word. They'd replicated the human act of lip-reading in the cyber world, designing a software suite that could decipher what was being said without hearing sound. Alex relaxed her body a bit, contrition floating across her face. Sorry, this isn't my expertise. You should be doing the camera work. He laid the tablet on the table and took a sip of beer, saying, You're doing fine. This beats working in the diamond exchange, right? Keep up the talent, and I might recruit you for my firm. She grinned and said, No, no, this is enough excitement. I enjoy being able to help. I've never even been to Africa, but I'll stick with my boring job. There was no fear in the statement, no realization of the risk. It was like she thought they were executing a high school senior prank. She had no idea of the threat level. That would come later. She glanced over the balcony toward their target and said, Besides, I don't think your partner would agree to that. I think she hates me. Three people sat at the table they were filming, two white and one black. Their target was a man of about thirty-five. And unlike the rest of the patrons in the restaurant, 
He was dressed in a suit, as if he were still working in his office in Israel. The other white man looked like he was about to head out on a safari, wearing cargo pants and a shirt that had more pockets than a photographer's vest. He had shaggy blonde hair, ice blue eyes, and a feral quality. Aaron had seen his type plenty of times before, but only in war zones. It intrigued him. The final man was tall, with a thin mustache and coal-black skin. He was dressed like a local, but didn't act like one. Ramrod straight, he showed not a whit of humor. Had they held the meeting at a cafe in downtown Johannesburg, where the target was staying, they would have attracted attention by their very disparate appearances, but they didn't hear. Which explained why Aaron's target had chosen this restaurant. The one thing remaining was to find out why the meeting was occurring. The only man Erin recognized was the one the Mossad had asked him to track, an employee of a diamond broker in Tel Aviv. The other two were a mystery, but he'd know about them soon enough, when they reviewed the footage later. The primary problem with the lip-reading software was choosing a language. Try to lip-read German when the target was speaking Chinese, and you'd get gibberish. Here, in the township of Soweto, just outside the city center of Johannesburg, South Africa, he was sure they were speaking English. There was no way the black man spoke Hebrew, and he would be astounded if his target from Israel spoke something like Swahili or Afrikaans. No, they'd be speaking English, and the fact that his method of recording the conversation came through in visual rather than auditory form was a plus in the current environment. The outdoor balcony they were on belonged to a restaurant called Sakumzi, as did the patio holding the target's table. Just a stone's throw from the historical houses of Nelson Mandela and Bishop Tutu, in the section of Soweto known as Orlando West, the restaurant hosted a smorgasbord of local food and native performers and was a permanent stop for tour groups, large and small, traveling to see the ghetto made famous in the uprising against apartheid. Because of it, there was a constant drumbeat of laughter and clapping, something that had no effect on the lip-reading software. As long as Aaron could keep a line of sight with whoever was talking, 